you know, the juggle, the schedule challenge stuff, like that's not unique to Sarah and I. I think we're not these like superhuman parents. Um, we're figuring it out too. But what has helped us figure it out, just being communicative about what's working, right? So what worked last month might not work now. So there's been times where, you know, we, Sarah and I had Judah in preschool three days a week. And then we were sharing, you know, we were um, taking care of him the other two days. And like that was working for a while. And then I felt like, you know what, I really need one more day at work. And so instead of like harboring that and just being kind of bitter about it, we just, we had a conversation about it. It was like, okay, what worked then is not working now. You know, what got us here might not get us there. Okay, let's do this. This is Jeff. I'm Andre. Are you ready? I'm ready. Love or work. Is anyone listening? No, don't put that on the air. These two people are really, really funny. This one made me cry. World Series champion. Around the entire world. NBA all-star. We hope you love this interview as much as we did. Love or work. Welcome to the Love or Work podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. And we are here once again on a Monday with you celebrating love or work. And work. Yeah, both. Yeah. We can celebrate both. We are celebrating. So I celebrate that I get to work and I also get to love you. Oh, you're so sweet. Isn't that sweet? (laughs) I actually have something else to celebrate today. What? We haven't really told everybody this. We've been working really hard for the last year on something. Oh, I didn't know you were going to share. Yeah. And um, yeah, so today's, um, we're going to share about it. Is it okay? You're asking me live, but yes, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's usually the best way to do this it. This is actually how he gets things that he wants. So in the midst of all these interviews we've been doing, we also did a large research project. We have a research partner on that. And we just signed a deal for a book. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. By Jeff and... Uh, is it going to be Jeff and Andre Shinovar? Is it going to be Andre? It's going to be Andre. I think it's going to be and Jeff. Jeff. And Andre I think it's going to be Andre and Jeff. It's alphabetical order. So we signed a contract. It's so cool. Uh, we have a good partner. They're excited about it. Uh, it'll be a book with Harper Collins and Zondervan. And um, we're pretty pumped about it. Super pumped. Now we actually have to write it. I can't believe you just <laughs> told the whole world because now it's real. Yeah. We have a lot of work to do, but that's kind of exciting. Yeah. We also have a very fun live event. It's going to be all coming live. up. So, so let me hang out before you do the announcement. What I can promise is that in some way you and I are going to have some banter in the night of that night. Yes, of course. Yeah. It's us. It's what people expect. Right. Absolutely. So on March 19, if you are in a, the Atlanta area, we would love for you to join us. It's at 8 PM at Plywood place. Uh, and yeah, we're just going to have like, Two couples that we're going to interview live. And if you go to loverwork.com, we need you to buy a ticket. Yeah, loverwork.com. And it's limited to about 100 people. Um, we have two couples we're interviewing. Jose and Nicole Reyes, they founded um, MetaLeap. And they own a creative agency together. And also our friends that created The Known Project, which we have talked about many times on this. Uh, the Known Project, you say that so fast, but it's um, the questions. Yeah, the questions that you we should always take on promote every day. the questions to keep talking and keeping communication. It's going to be live. Spouse. We're going to be interacting with all of you in the audience. You're going to hear two podcast interviews right in front of everyone. It's our first conversation we're doing with an audience. 
Live. Live. So get your tickets. Uh, there's only 100 spots. Actually, there's fewer than 100 already. So get the last few tickets that we have available, and we will see you on March 19th. But today, today, today. we it's get It's a to, very special day. It's a very special day. I'm really excited about this one. Oh, great. Tell us about it. Well, I really, really love the work that is being done by this couple, mm. uh, specifically Sarah from Darling Media. Um, so today we have uh, Sarah and Steve Doubledam. Yeah, so they are co-owners of two different businesses. Yep. So like I said, Sarah from Darling Media and then Steve um, from Wilderness Collective. And you can follow them both um, at Darling or uh, on Instagram. And Steve is at Wilderness on Instagram. And then also darlingmagazine.org. I love their stuff. Yeah, it's so good. Their They're, content. There's so much intention behind everything that they do. And we're going to learn from them. We're going to learn not only how they how they run a startups together, but also how they can still manage a child and also their entire creative process. They kind of share some insight into that. Um, so as we get into it, I'm going to share three things that you should be listening for. Yes, Jeff. Four. And the first thing is, I thought this was great. Uh, the quote at their wedding that was, on, I think, on the programs, they said, mm -hmm. uh, love is the only true adventure. And I think for the last eight years, they have been on an adventure. That was a great, like, foreshadowing. Uh, the second thing is really their creative process. I mentioned that a second ago. Man, I could have been listening to that for a very, very like they they just started flowing, and I was like, don't. I looked at you, and I was like, don't stop, don't, don't, don't interrupt. If them, you are them. a creative, yes. If you are an entrepreneur, you need to hear this process because it's beautiful. Absolutely. And then the third thing was this phrase that they use, and I love. I always love picking up statements that people say to be able to integrate it into our vocabulary and our. Um, you know, the way that we speak to each other. But uh, when they're trying to figure out weeks of balance, sometimes they'll look at each other and go, hmm, hey, this week seems like it was a Team Steve week, or this week seems like maybe it's a Team Sarah week. And that's like a nice way of saying, everything is about you and you need to step back and I need to have a little time. Is that a fair way to say it? It's like a nice way of saying it. There's the way to put it down right there. To which this week has been a little bit Team Jeff. I'll be, I'll be honest. Yeah. Hence our multiple fights right prior to this podcast. <laughs> I wouldn't call them fights. As I would, always. I would call them um, learning opportunities. You always put a good spin on it, babe. I love you. I love you. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoy Sarah and Steve Doubledam. I grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and I uh, had lived there till I was about 21. And then I moved on this big, crazy journey down to LA. And a friend of mine from Edmonton had moved down to Portland and he had met Sarah there through Friends of Friends because Sarah's from Oregon. And I moved down to LA with my business partner. His name is also Steve. And so our friend, Mike, essentially kind of set us up. He told Sarah, said, hey, there's these cool guys. I know Steve and Steve were down in LA. You're living down in Southern California. You guys should link up at some point. And so it took us a while to eventually actually meet. 
Um, Sarah met my business partner first because I was stuck in Canada due to some uh, immigration technicalities, we'll call it. And um, so Sarah had <laughs> lunch with my business partner, Steve, and her friend. And he actually called me, true story. He called me afterwards. was like, hey, I had lunch with these great girls and I met your future wife. It was wow. one of those. I was like, okay, game on. Um, but then it actually, from that point, it was about three months till we actually met in person. Uh, we met in Vegas, of all places, because uh, we were both at a fashion trade show um, at the time. And so that's where we ended up linking up. And then after that, I mean, we pretty much started dating right away um, and dated for like three years and we're engaged for about six months. Um, so that's, is that, did I miss anything, Sarah? No. Yeah, that's, that's about it. And how long have you guys been married now? Almost eight years. Okay. And you have children, right? One, two? We have one two and a half year old named Judah. Okay. That's fun stage. Yeah. It's adorable. All right. So Steve, I know you do like a wilderness kind of adventure tours, all of that. I would love to hear how adventure and exploration um, plays a role in your relationship together and as a family. How, how does that play into what, what matters to you as a family? Yeah, I think that, you know, if you think about adventure as a combination of taking risks, doing something you haven't done before, kind of heading out into some unknown with, you know, maybe a lesser level of preparation than you would normally have, then, um, you know, I think our relationship feels like that too. It's funny how like the quote on our, uh, I think it was our programs at our wedding actually said, I believe the quote is love is the only true adventure. Is that right, Sarah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's kind of cool that like, that was the intention that we set that we knew that our relationship together would really feel like a big adventure. Um, and that has certainly been true. Um, couple pro tips from Steve and Sarah's marriage files is, you know, <laughs> first year, first year you get married, it's smart to start two businesses where you have no <laughs> fixed income. So that's, that's, Probably, if you want a successful relationship, that's the first thing to do. Quit your jobs, start two companies. At the same time. Yeah, at the same time. Yeah. (laughs) Um, No, so, but it's, I mean, adventure, yeah, it is a big part of our life. I think that's something I love so much about Sarah. She's like a say yes person, like, let's go anywhere, let's pick up and have a big adventure. Whether that's like a physical adventure, like let's go travel somewhere, or a much deeper, scarier adventure. Like, Hey, let's start a business together. Let's do that while raising kids. Let's, you know, take some risk. Let's choose meaning and impact over security. And really like we've been kind of trading on those things for the past almost eight years in, in pretty serious way. Like where we've, we've definitely, you know, in some ways we've paid a price for the decisions we made. In another sense, I look at the life that we've been able to share together for the past eight years and it's rich and incredible and full of amazing experiences. So we're, we're netting out where we want it to be, even though there's certainly ups and downs along the way. So Sarah, you guys are both, I mean, it sounds like you both are really big risk takers. 
And it's interesting because usually two risk takers are not always paired up. It's, it seems like there's always seems to be one risk taker and one kind of like, okay, that's cool. I'll hang back. And uh, so how does... how and is, actually pay the bills. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll have the real job. You go have fun. Um, how does... Uh, yeah. How has this impacted your marriage and, and, and definitely the part of, you know, pro tip starting two businesses at the same time. Yeah, it is interesting that we are really similar in that way. Both of our parents are entrepreneurs. My dad is a um, realtor and developer and Steve's dad is um, an engineer and inventor. And so we've grown up, we grew up in those, those atmospheres where our parents, you know, said, do whatever, whatever you want. So I think we were both coming at life in that perspective. I think that in our relationship, Steve is probably more on the risky side than me. If there was a hesitant one, it's 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 me. And in, in some ways, I'm sometimes afraid to fail. Or you know, what if we try that? It doesn't work. Or people don't buy it. Or you know, I'm the, always the one that has more of the doubts coming into certain situations. Where Steve's always says, "Well, let's just do it. Let's try it. Who cares?" It's like he's always like, "Nobody cares, anyways. Like everyone's worried about themselves. So let's just try it." He's very like. <laughs> fearless, careless type of personality, which is really fun to be, to be married to. So he always balances my doubts in that way, but definitely, you know, both being this way, it it does present some challenges. You know, we're the type of people that we do let our mail pile up until it's like a foot tall. And then we're like, Oh, somebody needs to go through that and figure out like, what are we, what are we doing? We usually pay our bills, you know? So we definitely struggle with some of those more tactile organized type of thing adulting really, exactly like there's nobody that's super super crazy responsible or organized in this marriage so we're challenged in that area but we've we've learned some systems and grown into adults now sort of along <laughs> the way trying you're trying yeah, trying I'd love to hear a story of how adventure has uh, led you to do something together that I don't know, that was unpredictable or that you went, you went for something that most people would not have. I want to hear an adventure story in marriage. Ooh, that's a good one. Well, I think the, probably the craziest one is taking Judah to Tokyo for three weeks. We did that last year and that was really crazy. We just, you know, did that 17 hour flight, went all around Japan six different areas, you know, through car, bus, um, train, just going all over and in a country where literally no one speaks English and the only signs are in English or in the metro and just figuring that out and having so many crazy experiences where they also in their culture don't really bring babies out in public. So we had like this clip on high chair that we were bringing to every single restaurant and everyone's just staring at us being like, why are you bringing this? this tiny baby out and eating ramen with him or we just didn't know anything they're ever ordering either and just you know having fun with it and not being afraid I think that's something that we're really passionate about is just living life and making it happen and also things are hard right when you think about an adventure I think what stops a lot of people is oh we're gonna have to get this we're gonna have to lug our stuff we're gonna have so many suitcases and this and that we have pictures of us with like literally 12 items that we're carrying around or like pushing up this huge hill in the countryside <laughs> of Japan trying to get to some Airbnb. So 
we really try to have that mentality of don't get overwhelmed, just put in the work, you know, it might be harder, but it's always worth it. But don't get flustered in that preparation or, you know, thinking of what might happen or even being afraid um, is something that, you know, we just definitely set aside to have that adventure. And it was one of the best times of our life. And it was crazy. And it's it's really inspired a lot of people. People text me for tips like, we're so inspired. You took your baby to Japan. We want to do something like that. You know, crazy too. It seems, you know, so fun and just, you know, work when you can, when you're away and just make it happen. So that was a really great, great story. I'd look back at that and be like, yes. We did that. <laughs> I'd feel so proud after that. Yeah, most people are actually really scared to introduce their kids to the world. I think there's a there's so many fears that go along with that. And I love that you're setting that standard early on because it's like, no, like this is the life we want. And I, this is the life that our kids are going to want. They just don't know it yet, right? Right. Oh, so let's, uh, let's shift a little bit to talk a little bit about Darling and how you came up with the concept of um, just this being for women and being unedited, right? Not retouched, yeah. No retouched. Okay. So tell us, yeah, how you came to that idea, how you came to feel like that was really important to be seen. Sure. So right out of college, I was living with my best friend, Kelly, and four other girls in a house. We didn't have any money. We were both working at a restaurant. We were sharing a bed, sharing a closet, sharing makeup, sharing food, sharing everything. And we were pretty depressed because both of our boyfriends just broke up with us. And we didn't know what we were doing in life. We had all these big dreams of working in media and changing the world. And here we are, you know, with our straight A's, just (laughs) (laughs) trying to figure out what to do. And one day we were having coffee together and just started talking about women's media and where we were supposed to go for answers and advice and how we felt like culture had lost the idea of mentorship or especially generational mentorship and how you just feel really alone as, you know, a mid twenties woman. And we said, well, you can YouTube stuff or go to trashy magazines and, you know, get terrible advice. Where's that mentor, best friend type voice in our world. And we're like, it doesn't exist. So let's start a magazine. And we had literally no idea what we were talking about, but got so excited about the concept. And so started really, you know, working to meet people that had done that before and just literally asking everyone we knew. And we started writing our mission statement, which is now the mission statement that's on the back of every single magazine that we've done and this, the whole ethos of our brand. And we just started there and because that's what all the business books said to do. They're like, write a mission statement. So we did that, but then we didn't really <laughs> do anything with it. And so it really wasn't until I met Steve that he said, you guys need to stop talking about this. We've been dating for a while and he knew about my idea. And he said, you girls just keep talking about this over and over and meeting with girls in your living room and you know, trying to figure out what the concept is. He's like, we need to just do it. We need to make a website. So he was the one that really prompted and helped us build our first logo and and build the website. But really the whole, you know, ethos behind it was that mentoring voice talking about inner character versus always talking about outer beauty, trying to, you know, help women see that they're worth more than their image or their sex appeal. And also, 
that they don't need to be retouched or altered in any way. And that the standard for beauty that was set by our culture just isn't true and needs to be torn down. So that was really the premise of of starting Darlene and, and being the first magazine to not retouch women was, you know, how do we start showing people images that look different and that look natural? And so starting to rewire people's brains in that way. So that was really the the inception of it. And it's obviously a, a longer story than that, but that's that's what the first where the first sparks of it came from. That's amazing. And what do you think I'm curious because I definitely feel like the women's aspect, obviously, but what do you think that this um, media culture kind of, how do you think it impacts men? Well, one thought on that, that Sarah is really passionate about, and we both are, is that we feel that the way forward, it's, it's going to involve, um, like it needs to involve men, right? Men have to be a part of the conversation. So like there's, there's some great things happening for women right now. However, it feels like the pendulum is maybe swinging like too far to the one side because the answer, you know, is not going to be like a women's only restaurant where only women work there, only women were farming the food and only women can eat there. Um, (laughs) You know, like, okay, interesting concept, but, and I don't know if there's a restaurant like that. There are other businesses literally like that that I know of. Um, and that just feels like, okay, if you want to like solve a cultural problem, you have to actually have the conversation with both stakeholders, right? So Darling has done some incredible work in bringing men, inviting men into this conversation, whether that's using men as contributors, whether it's, I mean, there's like countless number of fathers who've got daughters who are just like in tears grateful for the work that we've been doing because you know we're articulating a sense of value and respect and meaning for their daughters but also we're helping to give these men a language that they can use to have these conversations so even for myself right like it wasn't my childhood dream to own a women's magazine um yeah however you know once i found like I found so much satisfaction in um, in serving Sarah and coming alongside her dream and vision that it became my dream. It became my vision. I began I began to care deeply about it. You know, so I think in the same way that that is a bit of our message to men is like if you get involved in this, then it will actually become your own. You know, kind of your own battle or your own thing that you're striving for or working towards and and trying to make change in. So, I would say that's probably like the biggest thing is like we just want to include men in the conversation, in the work, um, and we feel like that's a that's a better way forward. I love it. I and you know, as a I'm a, I'm a husband, obviously, and I'm a dad of a nine year old girl. Um, I'm curious what advice you would give to me because I think that there's many relationships where you know, the husband is, you know, sees how it has impacted their spouse. And they also see how it's very, like culture is very quickly creeping into the life of their child. You know, what advice do you have for me as a dad, as a husband in progressing that conversation and setting a different tone than what maybe culture is, is communicating right now? I think one thing is definitely having a balance and focusing on you know, definitely telling your daughter that she's beautiful in a physical aspect and, and why, 
you know, like certain picking out certain things about her appearance that are beautiful and definitely affirming those things, but also in equal amount affirming, you know, her character, who she's becoming, her dreams, her imagination, and just looking for those things to affirm so that they're just really genuine compliments and affirmations. That's one thing. And then the second thing is really teaching them media literacy from an early age. So, you know, if you're at the grocery store and you see a magazine cover, you know, and you see that it's retouched or it's really over-sexualized or there's something about it, you can tell she's looking at this woman on this, on this cover. It's, you know, not pretending like it doesn't exist, but having a conversation about it and be like, what do you think about that, that picture? Like, you know, I'd like to tell you like that picture has been retouched. Here's what retouching is. It's, you know, you know about your computer, they take it and they alter their skin to make it perfect. And that's why things look perfect, but that isn't how women are, you know? So just helping them as they grow up to see that things aren't real and see, like pull back the veil a little bit. When you work in media, like I do, and, you know, for the last 10 years, I know everything that happens from styling to retouching to models, to the industry, to everything, but to the average person, they don't know. So it's just this message they're being fed. So educating yourself on that and helping them see behind the curtain a little bit and and know that those industries are corrupted. You know, the modeling industry is not a good industry. (laughs) You know, it's as all these women that are the exact same size from the measurements from honestly your ankle to your calf, to your kneecap, to your bicep, everything is measured when you're a model and you have to fit within those measurements in order to be a model. And that's just not healthy. You know, there's some progress being made in that with different size models and things, but just really being able to have those conversations and from an educational standpoint, I think is, is really important. So those, those two things would be but my advice is just having those open conversations about how it makes them feel and how they perceive themselves in light of what they're seeing and their friends and, and all of that. And not just pretending like it's something that doesn't exist, but knowing that it's something that's on every young girl's mind all the time. You know, am I beautiful? Am I loved? Am I enough? How do I measure up to my friends and the things I'm seeing in movies and, and all of that? So that would be my main two, two points on that. I love the two. I, I I love what you're saying for daughters. I'm interested to hear what you feel like you want to communicate to your son about women, and what are the main things you're kind of thinking about in his little mind and heart. If I think about, you know, Judah, and as he's still, you know, so young, he's only like two and a half, you know, and how can we? I mean, I guess it's instilling this sense of that, like, there is value in every person, regardless of how our society measures them. Mm. Um, you know, that like, I mean, frankly, like there's value, you know, what, what matters a lot more is like how, how God measures humans, which how God measures humans is that they're all equally valuable, no matter what they've done, no matter where they've come from no matter what they can do, what they can't do, what they look like, what they don't look like, right? So if that's our standard, then that is a hard standard to live up to because I think human nature, we are like the the immediate thing that humans do is we judge, right? Yeah, size um, like people you can't are, not, yeah. yeah, like you can't not do that. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, it's kind of like how it's impossible. Like if you know a language, it's impossible to see a billboard with an English word on it and not read it. Like to tell your brain, like, no, those are just letters. I'm not going to read the word. I'm just going to look at it. (laughs) So in the same way, when we're looking at people, when we're interacting with people, it's like, of course, our brain is making assumptions, but you've got to get good at the reflex of challenging those judgments and assumptions and not looking through the grid of what culture says about people, Mm -hmm. but developing your own grid, your kind of your own, um, you know, lens and worldview of how we associate value towards people. So that would be a big concept for a two and a half year old. Um, But I think, I think it comes down to just like, it's even little things, right? Like Judah will, if we're walking through the park, he'll go straight up to like the scariest looking homeless dude and just stand right in front of him and like have a little conversation with him. And so instead of like, pulling him away from that and being like, no, we don't talk to people who are scary. You know, it's within, in a safe way, allowing him to like explore that. Right. And so I think that as he gets older, there will be more and more situations like that where we're, you know, we're trying to partner with him in that. And, and then I think as he gets even a bit older still, it's just going to be about having those conversations, not letting culture, and media be the thing that's teaching him, but making sure that he's hearing it first from us. Yeah. And I would add to in in regards to specifically women as he gets older, just really instilling respect for, for women in every way Um, from how we look at them to perceive them, what their purposes, you know, in the world and just really always hammering that, that worth and that respect so that they're almost viewed as a sacred uh, thing to him, you know, where culture makes women definitely not sacred in a lot of ways. Right. Yeah. That would be something that, yeah. And I think it is all conversations. It's all asking your kids questions and seeing what they think and what they're perceiving and just being on the pulse of that. And also just being a parent that understands what they're consuming as well. I think a lot of parents try to, you know, have a blind eye to that stuff because they don't know how to handle it. But I know a lot of parents that are up on every new app, every new you know way of communicating. They understand everything that's happening and they're like 60 years old. And I just really admire that. So Steve and I are committed to that, to really understand the world that he's consumed. That they think, oh, it's cool. Mom and dad understand. Like they, they know the show, they know about this, they know about that. And being able to communicate with that will make them you know, more open. And then you can instill some of those perspectives on femininity and masculinity within that context. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I'm, first of all, that was amazing. Great thoughts. And, but I want to get a little bit into different perspective on the tension you guys feel. Cause you guys are both doing amazing stuff. Like you're Sarah, you just got done doing this crazy, awesome campaign for Nike and Steve, you're, which, Oh my gosh, I could watch those videos over so good. and over and over. Thank you. So good. And Steve, you're like, you're taking these guys, you're finally getting them outside of their phone for a minute and taking them on these wilderness trips you said 35 trips this year. I don't know how many of those you're going on, but like, and taking people out and they're probably having these incredible soul moments where they get refreshed, get revived. They remind themselves why they live again, all that kind of stuff. In the midst of this, you got a two and a half year old and it's like, you're, the stuff you guys are doing is all good opportunities, and there's more probably coming at you guys every day. So how how do you guys figure this out as a couple? Like, wh- how are you tr- how are you trying to figure out 
like who whose turn is it when and and um what things have you learned to keep going and be connected together and not wear out your little little guy and like yeah what are you guys learning along this journey you know the juggle the schedule challenge stuff like that's not unique to sarah and i i think we're not these like superhuman parents um we're figuring it out too but what has helped us figure it out two things that i can think of is one just being communicative about what's working, right? So what worked last month might not work now. So there's been times where, you know, we, Sarah and I had Judah in preschool three days a week, and then we were sharing, you know, we were um, taking care of him the other two days. And like, that was working for a while. And then I felt like, you know what, I really need one more day at work. And so instead of like harboring that and just being kind of bitter about it, we just, we had a conversation about it. It was like, okay, what worked then? is not working now. You know, what got us here might not get us there. So we've kind of made a lot of little tweaks and adjustments along the way in terms of like our schedules. Like, okay, do I drop him off in the morning? Do you pick him up in the morning? Am I going to like hang out with him at the zoo this morning, this afternoon? And then, so like, we've got a general working plan, but then we're flexible within that plan. Like, cause things change, you know, and being entrepreneurs, this stuff is always changing for us. So that's one thing. Yeah. I, I think it is just a lot of, communication we have so many different things happening like who's picking him up who's dropping him off at preschool is the nanny you know shoot the nanny's sick it is just such a juggling act and just we really try and have more of a sacrificial mindset in that where it's like okay I can actually do this or I can cancel or I can move this and for a while we weren't great about communicating that so it'd be the morning of be like why have a coffee why have a coffee too and you know, Danny's not coming there. School's canceled. And, you know, we'd have that crisis. So we've been trying, you know, every Sunday night to more intentionally look at our week, say, what do you have? What do you have? Okay, you do this and just and just have a nice balance. Um, you know, it's not always about things being completely fair. But in some ways, it is because you want to make sure that you both are feeling fulfilled, that you have time for your hobbies and your friends and for other things. So we do try to have to strike definitely a balance on that. Whenever we feel like we're not striking that balance, we have this funny joke where we say like, hey, this week seems like it's like really Team Steve or really Team Sarah, meaning that we're not <laughs> on a team together. So, uh, you know, if he does something selfish, and be like, sorry, that was just totally Team Steve right then. Like I was just thinking about myself. So that's a funny way that we relate and balance things when it's not working out or it really seems like someone's, you know, really just, going in their own lane versus being together. And I think that's one of our strengths is, is really realizing that it, in marriage and in the things that we do, that we really are a team and that teams work together. They support one another. They you know, ask, are you doing okay? They, you know, compliment one another on things that they, they do well. So it's, it's just this idea of coming together in that way. And then as far as finding balance to connect, we try to have a date night once a week where we ask each other intentional questions that are outside of work. So some of those might be, you know, what have you been thinking about lately? What has God been teaching you lately? What are you dreaming about? What do you wish you could do right now? Just those, those questions that really tap into one another's imagination and psyche about, you know, what world have you been living in this past week? This is the world I've been living in inside of my head. So that is one way that that really helps us stay connected in the midst of the busyness or, you know, even two weekends ago, we, we got away for two nights without 
Judah just to connect and see where we were at and ask each other questions through all the different areas of our life, you know, the different categories of things that you're dealing with. So those are some of the ways that we try to stay connected and balanced. To avoid the temptation to keep score. Um, and mm, we have not good. always been great at that, but that is really a temptation. So I think what Sarah said is like, like your plan should represent an even, uh, your plan should be pretty evenly balanced, I think. But then inevitably you'll have to go off plan. So when you have to go off plan, try to not keep score, if that makes sense, you know? That's really, really good. So that's, that's kind of the way we think about that. And we're, we're uh, always have to work at that and make sure, you know, that we're, it's so easy to fall into that. And then you're just in this like nasty spiral, you know, of where you're not serving each other or serving your family, you know, and then it creates this weird thing where your kid feels like a burden, even though you like don't want it to be like that. And so it's nothing good comes out of that. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. Literally, our <laughs> fight like <laughs> last night. <laughs> Andre just keeps like glaring at me, but it's okay. Not glares. It's uh, it's knowing glances. Yeah, maybe this week is a little like team Jeff. Last it night might have been a little team Jeff. Where I could have strangled you, okay. but you know, okay, let's move on. It's not about us. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so oh, wait, I have a question. You got one. Yeah, they both they both let's you guys have both been leading the startups the last few years and if someone was listening and you know, both partners were also in that same place. I mean, would you guys do it that way again? Would would or would you, What do you mean like at the same starting yeah, at the same time? Like if you could redo it, would you would you still have done that? I mean, you looked at it as a venture, but I'm guessing it has been really hard. So yeah, would you recommend to someone else to to launch two things at the same time or not? Um, I don't think I would recommend it. Um, but so I, w- the only thing I would do differently, or like if I had like all control and power, is I would have just changed the order of things a little bit. So it would have been awesome if I had started Wilderness maybe three years before we started Darling, or vice versa, so that one business had some strength to it to help support the other one, but really starting them almost both at the same time, that was challenging. However, it's been helpful for us. Like as one business has been succeeding, then the other one, like they can kind of like help each other out a little bit in a sense. Um, Not that they're connected entities, but it has a lot to do with also just what type of person you are. And you got to be like honest about that. Like I've, I've started... I think this is like my 10th business, you know? And so like, I've just started a lot of stuff and crashed and burned a lot of times. So I've got, uh, I've got a feeling for what that feels like. So that, you know, maybe we're, you know, it, it would depend on, you know, how seasoned of an entrepreneur these people were and how I would advise them. I do think like probably like the gold standard is like for one of you to have a somewhat normal job or at least stream of income. Because then there's just less pressure on the other entity and on the other person. That that would be more ideal. I agree. I think it also depends on the structure of the business. If you have a ton of investment going in from the start, that's also really different. You know, we started Darling on Kickstarter, so that's you know definitely not wasn't a big money maker from the start. So I think it it also depends on what type of business it is. Is it 
you know, fast and high growth? Is it not? Is it something that needs to slowly build grassroots? Can it be done on the side? Is it all consuming? You know, all those, all those factors play into that. So definitely we had different side stuff that we would do. Steve would do some consulting stuff. I would do different side jobs here and there in the beginning. And and yeah, that is a lot of pressure. So I think staggering them just a bit is wise um, for sure. So you're in these, you know, brand new startups and all these things. And then on top of it, you decide to have kids or one child first. So how has that changed? How has that changed how you live life, do business? How has that changed your mentality? Um, yeah. But where did you have to like grow and stretch in that, in that area? Well, I think for us, we you know, never thought there was the right time. You know, when people say, oh, there's the right time. But I think there's like a better time. We always say that <laughs> a little bit of a better time sometimes. <laughs> So in the very beginning, there was just no way, you know, and even when we started talking about having a child, it was still really busy, you know, but we said, okay, we just need to set ourselves up for success right away. So, you know, we know we're going to need help instead of just trying to, to do it on our own. So at three months, I already had someone helping me with him, you know, so that I wouldn't get crazy overwhelmed. And even then it was, it was crazy still. And you just have to except like this is a gift, you know, a child is definitely a gift and you don't want your business to overrun that. And I think right away too, that my perspective shifted so much when you bring this human into the world and they're so amazing. You have the privilege of shaping and caring for their life. It really shifted my perspective a lot on what's important. You know, where I used to get super stressed out about a photo shoot or about the magazine, you know, going to print exactly on time and suddenly all that stuff didn't matter. I just became so much more chill in my perspective. You're thinking about a human life over like a fashion photo shoot. You're like, why am I so stressed about this thing? It really doesn't matter in the scheme of things. Of course, <laughs> content matters, but it's, it really shifted my perspective a lot in a really good way. Did you ever feel pressure? Did you ever feel pressure that you needed to um, stop, stay home, take a break, not keep working? Yeah, I think that's always a constant struggle, you know, especially feeling guilty or be like, oh, like I'm, you know, prioritizing this meeting or getting a nanny for this situation where I could be at the park experiencing all of these moments, you know, but also, I think that plays into our, our larger perspective on, on purpose and that, you know, if you really feel called to something or you feel like God's called you to make some change in the world or partner with him in that way, that I want to raise my child to also know that perspective. So as he gets older, he knows why we do it, that we're not just working to get away from him or distract ourselves or to make lots of money, but it's really purpose driven. And so just trying to think that you know, raising a child is really important and the time you spend with them is really important, but also so is, so is your calling. They're both equally important. So how can you balance those things and how can you model that as well for your child growing up? Um, so for me, I try to think, you know, I love Judah so much and I want to spend all the time in the world with him, but I also really love women and have such a pain for what's going on in culture and know that I'm called to love them as well. So how do I juggle those two 
loves and, and purposes at the same time. So I used to struggle more with being guilty in that sense, but then just have discovered more of a balance. And when I start to feel those feelings, just say, you know, no, like I don't need to feel bad. Of course, I love my son just as much as I, I love this. You know, sometimes you just start to tell yourself some false narratives about your intentions or, or who you are that aren't really true as a mom. So it's really trying to not feel feel guilty about that, but also really making sure that you are spending time with them. You know, that's why we have Thursday, one of our work days where we split time with him during the day. You know, he doesn't go to school. We don't have a nanny that day. It's just a day with him. And I get him for half the day. Steve gets him for half the day. And we decide on what that is every week. And then we have him all weekend, you know, so I'm still seeing him four days a week, which is, which is great. And that, that works well for me feeling like a balance. Mm. I love that. Hey, uh, so both you guys, I mean, you're both leading super creative entities um, that are sustaining and bringing positive kind of messages into the world. And I've literally walked into creative agencies and been working on campaigns with people. And then I walk in and there's a creative board and things that you guys have created are part of the creative board as inspiration for what they're doing. And I say that as a compliment to the work that both of you do. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so I'm curious for each of you, I mean, how do you find inspiration? Like, how do you stay creative in the work that you're doing to keep pushing the envelope in, in new ways? What, what rhythms do you guys have for creativity um, and inspiration for your lives and your work? I think for me, like a couple of things about creativity is you've got to know for yourself what fuels your creativity so for me like i'm a you know one uh, okay strengths finder strengths right like my top strength is ideation but my second strength is input and so those play on each other so i have to be inputting to be ideating so for me that's just you know it's like listening to podcasts or reading books or having conversations or like kind of like my just having my brain be open to ideas and like, just like things that are happening out there, you know? So I'm definitely the person who's like always quoting things and I have like no idea where I'm quoting it from, or even if it's correct. I'm like, I heard something kind of like this the other day, <laughs> you know? Um, and so, so that's one thing. Um, another thing, you know, that a mentor has taught me about is like once you find that place of creativity you've got to really protect it like build a fence around it and then a wall around it and then like a moat and then like another wall and like really really protect it if you're a professional creative you know because life will chip away at that like place of creativity um and and then yeah as your life gets busier you've got to be even more specific about your time and all those little things so that's uh you know that's that's one thing that has helped me i think another thing that helps me creatively you know from inspiration is just uh you know it's kind of like asking myself like like i guess like connecting with people whether it's friends or customers or um you know just like actually like face to face connections with people and then, um, and then off of those conversations, like doing some critical thinking and thinking like, what am I hearing from these people? Or what am I, where am I seeing culture moving? And that's where you can start to ask yourself like more fun, creative challenge questions. You know, like if you're creatively stuck, ask yourself, well, what's the opposite look like? You know, what, like what's, what's the opposite solution here? How can we get there? You know, and you know, if, if we didn't have, if cash wasn't a concern, you know, what would we do differently? If we were starting over today, how would we do this differently? And, 
kind of having like a set of creative tools that help you get going as well. Um, and then a deadline. Let's be honest. If you're a professional creative, you can't always wait for inspiration to strike. You've got to like be able to create on demand. Um, and so that's another part of it too, where sometimes you just got to like roll up your sleeves. And for me, I got to stop procrastinating and just like put pen to paper and, you know, just start. <laughs> I love it. Sarah, what do you have? So for me, most of my creativity is, as visual as a creative director with, with photo shoots and, and things like that. And I think, you know, in, in that world, it's, you know, everything's been done, right. Every, every article topic that you're trying to pair a visual with something's, something's been done. And so for me, I need to start with a place of original inspiration, which really is in my imagination. So I really fuel my imagination by uh, travel. Like if I go, especially to foreign countries, that just really sparks my imagination or going out in nature, going even in my own city and exploring. I have to get out and start seeing things and seeing what people are connecting to, how they're behaving. Also, you know, watching media, what are people talking about? What's what's kind of the, the spiritual temperature behind what's happening? And then I more connect to my imagination and, and come up with a theme or like a feeling around something I'm trying to create. And then at that point, I start looking up visuals around that theme. So I have a lot of ways that I type in searches to look for visuals on Pinterest or just on Google images. Um, I look a lot to Europe, especially Japan for just really outside the box type creativity. And then in order to not copy anything, I'll, you know, I'll have an image that I really like that represents, say, a, a photo shoot about friendship or something. And there's certain props in this shoot that someone created that I really like. And so I'll take that and I'll say, how can I change three to five things about this? Or how can I take this concept or this feeling that I like and flip it on its head in a different way so that it's not copying it? Because I think a lot of, you know, that's your temptation is like, oh, someone does, I'll just like copy this. Where you know, you have to push, it's not bad to use inspired ideas. Everyone's inspired by something, but turn it on its head, turn it upside down. How do I put this scene in a totally different scene? How do I change the colors? How do I put a totally different subject? So if it's a person in the shoot, how do I put a rabbit in it instead? You know, how do I do like something that's just different? So that's how I normally work. And it sounds like crazy person thinking, but <laughs> that's really where my, my mood boards come from. So starting with more of that psychological inspiration, a word, a theme, a feeling, a one-liner about whatever it is I'm trying to create and then going there into visual explorations and then changing that or tweaking that to be original. Uh, that wasn't crazy. That was like gold. <laughs> yeah. Sarah, every, you need to write like a book about that. Every Both creative person should literally right. have and you a were whole just starting. page of notes from Steve and Sarah right now. Oh my goodness. Y'all can We go have a whole page. Yeah, you guys got to you, you, yeah, people want to learn how you guys think. That's amazing. Yeah. We have to end with our final question that we ask everybody. Um is it possible to change the world with pursuing your own calling and passions that you have, stay in love and raise a healthy family. Yes. <laughs> that was very, uh, that was very affirmative. good. Yes. Yeah. And go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, like more we could say on that, but I think it's certainly what we're trying to do. And I think maybe I'll say like, I'll add like, I'm a believer in like trying to change your corner of the world, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so, because maybe if you're actually trying to change the whole world, then there will be an undue strain on your marriage. And I think a lot of people are trying to change the entire world when perhaps they should be more focused on just their corner of the world if that makes sense. So like that could be a helpful guide in balancing everything. Yeah, I agree. I I definitely think that you can balance all of those things. It's definitely a juggling act, but I always just, I always think for the, from a perspective of, of rest and peace, when you look at your life and your, and your family and not getting caught up in really a state of agitation. And when you are, you know, returning back to that place for us it's like returning to our faith in god and our rest and our our peace and our trust in him and just learning that cycle of going from agitation to rest and getting better at that so where you're more living in rest all the time where things don't get you really worked up you're more calm about things about your decisions and what you're doing and the way you're balancing everything so that's that's one thing that we honestly live by is we try to encourage each other and affirm one another when we're living in rest and in peace and just not being stressed out about life. And now it's time for the breakdown. Oh, you kind of did a little new spin on that breakdown. I like breakdown. to turn it into a little bit of music, you know? <laughs> what am I going to do with you? So what I think you, you should enjoy? keep me around. I think you should keep I'll me around. I'll keep you. I think That's I'm going to keep you for a while. So what'd you enjoy? What'd you love? I mean, I know you loved the creativity of that moment that you asked the question about what inspired them. You loved that. You just started writing like a madman over there on your paper. I'm not even... Listen, that's not even what I was going to talk about. Well, I'm just saying I know you loved it. Well, here's... Let me tell you what I did love. Let me tell you what I loved. Okay. Sarah said something about this tension that started, darling, is the tension between inner character versus outer beauty. And I thought that was... Those were really good terms to try to remember, especially as I'm bringing up Jada. And to think about what am I doing that is that I'm calling out as beautiful or important or special about her and deciphering and thinking about things that are inner character versus outer beauty. That's a term and a, a tension that I will remember for a long time. Yeah, and I, uh, I appreciated that it needs to be both. I appreciated that we do need to um, say those affirmations of beauty um, for girls and women, but that we say just as many about character, like not one versus the other, but both. I love that. What about you? Well, you, of course you completely stole mine because of course you knew I was going to talk about all of that. But, um, the other part about media literacy that she said was so great. I think there's this struggle when I'm sitting there or standing in line at the grocery store and we're in line and there's all the magazines and my kids are just staring at them. And I literally want to like throw myself in front of the magazines and block them all and be like, don't look at this shit. It's not good for you. Like it's not true. And I want Mm -hmm. to, I don't, I, I, cause I think 
just like what she was saying, it's just really actually we're never going to be able to completely block it and we're never going to, and it's not right to just ignore it, but really talking about like, does sh- that skin look real? Yeah, actually it, leaning into that, the conversation. Yeah, and, and do you think because, everybody because our kids, has those perfect legs? Yeah, and, because no matter what, our kids already know who those people are. It's interesting. Like it's a, it's part of our culture. Like, oh, there's Oprah. Oh, there's Joanna Gaines. Oh, th- those are like the tame magazines, but they already know who they are. Yeah. And they know a lot of the other people too. It just happens in part of our culture today. So you can't like shy away. The question is like, what are you teaching them in the midst of it? I thought her perspective on it was incredible. Right. Let's keep, you know, getting into their little brains about what they're thinking and in inputting the truth of, yes. of what the the visual images they see. Yes. And which leads me a little bit on the communication side to something Steve said. Um, he was talking about this kind of communicative relationship that they have and being willing to say what worked last month is not going to work this month. And that even though you come to a resolution one month or even one week or one day in having the flexibility to go, it's not working anymore. I think that's actually a really, really positive way to approach things because one thing that we have learned is our kids change so fast. And in every new season, we have to operate differently based on what is happening in their lives. And it's equally, like we're we're changing, we're ever evolving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know, I thought there was something really positive about that to not be like, well, we decided, you said this, you said, no, it's like, well, yes, that is what I said. But it's different this month. We have to keep evolving and changing and progressing along with our kids and along with our work. Yes. And then when he talked about keeping score, man, I'm like... I feel like I've said at least five good things on this episode. I am... (laughs) This this is like my struggle bus because I definitely struggle with the keeping score mentality. Um, Especially, you know, when there are weeks where it does feel like it is Team Jeff, you know? And um, But I really liked what they said about how or like what Steve said about how it's just like a spiral and it goes down and, um, and it just then becomes really all about you or about what the other person didn't do and, um, and not really thinking like wholly and fully about the big picture, about what your partner might need this week more than what you might need, you know? And, um, yeah, especially, as this week has been a struggle for us personally. So really good lessons today. Mm. Got me all in my feelings. Really? Yeah. It was good. It was good for me. I'm learning. I hope you guys are learning. Yeah, we hope so. If you're learning, I hope you'll keep listening. I hope you'll subscribe. Yes. I and hope you'll pass this along to your friends. Yeah, that text it to somebody to right hear. now. And and share your comments uh, on our Instagram account at Love or Work. Um, man, we love doing this. We hope it's an encouragement to you and we'll see you next week. That's another episode of Love or Work. This episode was produced by DJ Oak Diggy for Soul Graffiti Productions.